0: Morning, everyone. All right, so if you are visiting with us or um, have missed the last week or two, we're in the midst of a series entitled Come Follow Me. It's a series on discipleship, um, what it is, what it is all about. And it's not just informational. It's supposed to be um, practical and personal where we're all personalizing these things Um, Am I following Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And am I following him? Um, So the first week we looked at what is a disciple. Um, If we're Christians, we're disciples of Jesus, which means we are learners and followers. And then last week we looked at the fact that Jesus is Lord. There is a cost to following Jesus. We must come and die So Jesus in Mark 8 said, whoever wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow follow me. So it's a call to die, to renounce our claim on our own lives, to refuse to live with ourselves as the Lord of our lives, um, to deny ourselves of our selfish, prideful impulses and take up our cross and follow Jesus. So I hope that you're personalizing this series. I know it's been good for me. Um, I find myself coming back to these passages. Um, So if you think about the fact that Jesus is our teacher and our master, we are learners and followers. So don't you want to learn from Jesus? Jesus is your ear attentive to him. That's how we personalize it. Am I listening on a daily basis, really attuned to him? I want to follow Jesus. Don't you want to follow Jesus? So we don't want to close our ears, stick our fingers in our ears. We don't want to turn our attention elsewhere, right? No, we don't want to wander or walk away from Jesus. So we want to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow Jesus. And to do that is to die to everything that's killing us, our selfishness, our pride. So don't you want to die to those things so that you can really live, live for Jesus? Um, He says, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and the Gospels, you'll find it. So this morning, we're going to ask the question, why? Why? Why do we follow Jesus? Okay? What's our purpose? What's our motive? What gets us out of bed in the morning, as it were? Okay? Motivating us to follow Jesus wherever he leads us, wherever he goes. So that's really the focus um, this morning now. So motivations have to do both with our purpose and with empowerment, don't they? So it's the thing that you're after, but it's also the stuff that gets you there, right? So everybody's driven by something. Could be a singular goal, could be a number of goals. We all have a goal, we all have desire and drive to obtain that goal. And you know what? It's really easy, I think all of us in this room, I don't think I would have to twist your arm to convince you aren't our motives kind of a mixed bag and sometimes just a conflicted mess, <laughs> right? Instead of pure m- motives, oftentimes we find ourselves with mixed motives, twisted motives, selfish motives, right? How easy is it to be driven, governed, controlled by fear on a daily basis? Or anxiety? Or pride or anger how many people do a whole lot out of this smoldering anger (laughs) selfishness we could go on these can be very powerful motivators right so what are your primary motives and i don't mean give me the right answer I mean look in and personalize this and say, what actually drives me on a daily basis? What really moves me? What am I after? What do I want? What am I living for? That's what we're after considering this morning. So we need to look in, but we also want to look up. We want to look to Jesus. We want to fix our eyes on Him. We want to see what drove Him, and we want to follow So um, if we are disciples of Jesus, if we're learning from him, if we're following him, then we want to know what his motives were, right? (laughs) He's going to teach us, and we want to follow him. So why was he on planet Earth? What got him out of the bed in the morning? What was he after? And that will have a bearing on if we are disciples, if we want to follow Jesus, why we're on planet Earth, okay? So our passage this morning is 1 Corinthians 10, 31 to 11, 1. We're going to read that here in just a second. You'll see before we're done, I think, why the 1 Thessalonians passage that Alice read is an important complement to this. But if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10, um, if you don't have a Bible, if you're using the Pew Bible, you can find that on page 958. Um, <clears throat> we're going to read those verses and then I'm going to pray for us and then, then we'll dive in. all right? So 1 Corinthians 1031 through 111. 1. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do All to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And please do pray with me as I pray, because we all need help right now. I need help. I'm pretty keenly aware of that. But as you listen, this is not a passive kind of spectator sport. The Lord Jesus has things He wants to to teach us and ways in which He wants to lead us this morning. So we need to be actively prepared to receive that um, and humbly receive it so that we are changed, not merely informed this morning. So, again, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you that you woke us up and gave us um, more of your air to breathe and uh, have kept our hearts beating. We are not here right now by accident. You have us here for good reasons, good purposes, and I pray that we would be expectant and receptive, attentive to you so that this time is not wasted but that you would use it in a powerful way to change us, to shape and mold us into the image of your glorious Son. We thank you that despite being deformed by the fall, even though we were originally made in your image, despite the deformity that has come to all of us because of sin, we thank you that because of Jesus, we can be remade into his image and reflect your glory. We thank you that we can be new creations in Christ where the old is gone and the new has come, and we can put on the Lord Jesus every day and as we follow him, become more like him and reflect his beauty and goodness and grace and love and care and truth and all of who he is to this dark world around us. So Lord, we need your help to do that. We cannot do that in our own strength. We know the mixed nature, oftentimes the twisted nature of our desires and our motives. I pray that you would work your grace and your truth down deep where you would purify our hearts this morning, where you would awaken a passion for your glory, where we have just set our sights way too low to just survive or to just kind of make the widgets and come home and watch tv and fall asleep and do it again i pray that you would just raise our gaze and show us what we were made for so that in us and through us your name would be hallowed and your kingdom would come and your will would be done in newcastle county and beyond that you would use us for your purposes so lord The things that we need to die to, our pride and our selfishness, we can be so concerned what people think of us and rarely give a thought of what people think of Jesus. Would you turn that on its head and cause us to just die to what people think of us and help us to be way more concerned what they think of you? Give us a a freedom in that, a a blessed self-forgetfulness where we are just living open, wide open to you and oriented to the good of others. I pray that that would characterize us here, our members of Bethel in this city, as you scatter us throughout the week. I pray that would characterize all of Jesus' followers in Wilmington, in New County and beyond. I think of the One for Wilmington churches and I pray that you would continue to conform your people at City Church and Epiphany and Brandywine Valley to the image of Christ so that we as your people shine brightly with the light of Christ, the love of Christ, the character of Christ and that the people in our city would not be able to ignore Jesus. So, Lord, do, do a work and do it this morning. Uh, please help me and guide our time and accomplish, accomplish your good purposes and, and by your Spirit, work among us, work in us, work through us. We pray it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and for his glory. Amen. All right, so... Point number one, why Jesus was on planet Earth. So we're going to have to start at the end of this passage. Okay, so look at 1 Corinthians 11. One, corinthians 1, we are going to kind of work backwards a little bit. And I do need to give a little bit of context because um, some of you may not be familiar with 1 Corinthians and particularly chapters 8 to 10 because they're all one, one section. They hang together. So, 1 Corinthians 11.1. Be imitators of me, Paul wrote, to the church in Corinth, the Christians, the disciples of Jesus in Corinth. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So this is the conclusion of a section, like I said, that started at 8.1, chapter 8, verse 1. So in Corinth, pagan worship of a pantheon of gods was common. It was a regular part of life. So in that worship, animals were sacrificed, Right? And temples were almost like the restaurants of the day, (laughs) okay? Because those animals that were sacrificed, the meat was served there. And nearly everyone ate and drank at the temples in worship of the gods. But there was a dark side to this, okay? Well, a lot of it was dark. Um, It was common for cult prostitutes to be available at those temple meals, waiting in the wings, So you could consummate your worship of Aphrodite or whoever, whatever whatever, pagan god or goddess. And so you can imagine when Corinthians were saved out of that background, some of them would have very sensitive consciences about the meat that was offered in sacrifice. Just the smell of it could bring back all kinds of memories of the immorality and the idol worship that went along with that meal, right? So, is there any kind of demonic power inherent in a piece of meat on a plate? No. Is there anything wrong with buying it in the marketplace and eating it? No, actually. So, Paul says in 10.19, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. For those with strong, healthy consciences, they were free to do that. Paul had prohibited the Corinthian church from eating and drinking in the temple, okay, because that was tantamount to fellowship with Satan, the kind of dark power behind those false idols, false gods. Um, But if you were invited, say, to the home of your neighbor who was a pagan and he served meat from the temple, you could eat it without any questions of conscience. No, No problem, okay? But if you were around someone with a weak conscience... Paul was very clear that the rule of love trumped any personal freedom. So if you look at verse 23, you'll see the kind of thinking Paul was correcting. Look at the the quotation marks. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful. That's what they love to say in their freedom. All things are lawful. But Paul said, wait a second, not everything is helpful. (laughs) All things are lawful, but not everything builds up. So the Corinthians had knowledge about the nothingness of idols. And they likely knew that Jesus had declared all foods clean, right? So they were free to eat this meat. But sadly, because of their selfish hearts that needed crucified, some were using their freedom without a thought to the damage that could be done to those brothers and sisters with sensitive conscience. So they were wounding these brothers and sisters and causing them to stumble because of their knowledge, their freedom. That was, they were allowing that freedom and knowledge to trump love. So Paul says in verse 24, you can see we're making our way to our passage here, so we're almost there. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And it's in the context of this whole eating and drinking thing. So Paul's been making this argument from one all the way through to the end of chapter 10, and our passage is like the summary of it all and the climax of the argument. So as he's argued, he's offered, like as he's gone along with his line of argumentation from chapter 8 to 10, he's given his own life as an example of what he's talking about, not in a boastful way, but in a helpful way. He's been an example of the kinds of things he's commanding of the Corinthians. So, for instance, flip back to 1 Corinthians 9. 9, 9.19. Paul has lived this out. He's not calling them to anything that he's not willing to do. In fact, his example is really challenging. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. all things to all people that by all means I might save some. You see how he's living all of his life for the good of others. So rather than using freedom and privilege for personal gain, Paul gave himself up to free others and to benefit them. And so it's fitting that the final verse here calls them, the Corinthians and us, to imitate him in this, okay? Paul was a faithful disciple of Jesus. So if you look at and imitate Paul, you are actually walking in the footsteps of Jesus. But don't miss the obvious. The real pioneer on this path is the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Paul is just playing a cover song that Jesus wrote, Okay, And no one can sing it like Jesus. He is the master of master. He is the teacher of teachers. He is the lover par excellence. He is the one who did all things perfectly for the glory of God and the good of others. So why was Jesus on planet Earth? For the glory of God. Let's just take a look at a few passages to see that this is the case. John 12. They'll be up on the screen. You may just want to note them that way because they'll be gone before you get there probably. So John 12, 27, Jesus said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, but for this purpose, to die. For the sins of my people, for this purpose, I have come to this hour. So, Father, glorify your name. That's what I want. That's what he lived for. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Or, if you go a little further along in John's Gospel, the the prayer, the high priestly prayer when Jesus prays in chapter 17. Look there. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So why was Jesus on planet earth? For the glory of God, right? All of life lived to the glory of God. The perfect human. He's showing us what it looks like to really be human. Jesus also lived for the good of sinful people, for the good of others, right? So let's see just a couple passages that, that show that clearly. Romans 15.1, and again, it should be up there, um, I think. So we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Why? For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Or a few verses later, verse 7 of Romans 15, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Why did he do it? To show God's truthfulness, to draw attention to God's truthfulness, to glorify God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So Jesus glorified God. He lived for the good of other people so that they would have mercy the good that only he could give, and that they would glorify his name. So what do you think? If you follow Jesus, where is he going to lead you? What's he going to lead us to do? What is true north to Jesus? What's what's Jesus' lodestar guiding him? The glory of God and the good of others. So if we follow him, where do you expect he's going to take us? What's the trajectory of that path? The glory of God and the good of others, right? So if you are his disciple, learning from him what life is all about, following him on the path of life, um, just parenthesis, fighter verse people, somebody got this week's verse, it's like probably the easiest one of the year, so somebody can throw it in there. There we go. Okay, so John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the way. We follow him, right? He's the only way. So if we're going to live for the glory of God, the good of others, that's the, that's the only way. He's following Jesus. He's going to lead us in that path for those purposes. If you look on, on the bulletin here on the top, our purpose statement. Why are we on planet Earth? Here's one way to say it. To reflect. We're image bearers, right? To reflect God's infinite worth. Spend a little time around someone. You ought to know what they really value and treasure. It usually doesn't take long. So, so what? We all give off the light of what we love. So what do you love? To reflect God's infinite worth through Christ for the glory of His name and the good of of all peoples, both our neighbors and the nations, right? That's why we're here on planet Earth, okay? So if you want to follow Jesus like we considered last week, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Selfishness, living for ourselves, has got to be killed. Other-centeredness has to be embraced and cultivated. We're naturally so selfish... We think of ourselves first, I mean, it's, we're so spring-loaded. Who's the first person you look at in a picture? If you look at a picture. You look at yourself. How do you look? How do I look? Judge the, you know, how good that picture is on how good do you look in the picture, don't care how anybody else looks, okay? We don't like to consider others' interests ahead of our own. Only the cross can kill this. And only the love of God can raise loving others' centeredness in our lives. So Jesus did not take on flesh and blood to serve himself. He didn't go through the Garden of Gethsemane for his own advantage. He certainly didn't hang on the cross and bear the wrath of God in our place for his own sake, for his own advantage to please himself. He said not my will but yours be done for our eternal good and for the glory of God. So if you know this amazing undeserved grace, like the more we know it, his incredible self-sacrificial love, we're going to get filled up with that love. We're going to be freed from the need to live turned in on ourselves, selfish me first living, and will willingly embrace the path of the cross following Jesus, living for the good of neighbor and the glory of God. So it's no wonder then that the whole law is summarized with love God and love your neighbor, right? That's actually what we're going to consider next week the fact that disciples of Jesus are called to love. But our focus this morning is the glory of God and the good of others. That was Jesus' purpose for being on planet Earth. And if you, if if I am his disciple, then that's our purpose. That's your purpose. That's my purpose for being on planet Earth. Okay? So point number two, why are you on planet Earth? Look at verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, and just for what it's worth, that in the context is referring to eating meat sacrificed to idols and how you do that not to cause others to stumble and, you know, All of that. So should you learn how to eat your breakfast to the glory of God? Absolutely. But eating your breakfast to the glory of God is part of the whatever you do. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. If you didn't follow that, come ask me later. Um, All right. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is why we're on planet Earth. This ought to be our passion, our driving desire, our motive in all that we do. So Westminster Catechism says it so well. What's the chief end of man? Say it with me. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever, right? Now that can seem kind of abstract, can it? What does that look like? What does that look like on Monday? Brass tacks. Does it look like to live like that? Does it mean spending all your time in prayer and Bible reading? Does it mean spending all your time reading theology? Does it mean listening to your favorite worship music with your earbuds in, living in blissful, reclusive isolation, praising God in private devotion? Is that what it means? Okay, all those things are good things. Prayer, read the Bible, theology, good worship music, praising God personally. But look at how Paul unpacks what it means to do all to the glory of God. Look at verse 32. Give no offense, or that could be translated, be blameless, or don't cause others to stumble, okay? Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks, which in that day and time is basically saying to everybody. You're either a Jew or you're not a Jew, so Jews or Greeks, or to the church of God. So this applies to non-Christians and to Christians. Give no offense. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. How does this language strike you? Paul just said, give no offense to anyone. That's kind of open to misunderstanding. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. What? Is he a patsy? Is he a people pleaser? Is he like a chameleon? Is he just kind of, you know, finger to the wind and just do what everybody wants him to do? Just kind of reacting? No. So I think one helpful way that I heard one time of summarizing this, because this isn't the only thing Paul says about pleasing people. So if it were ever a matter of pleasing God or people, Paul's going to choose pleasing God every time, every day, twice on Sunday, okay? This is the man who wrote in Galatians 1.10 after he said some pretty hard words. He's not, you know, he doesn't have a wet noodle for a spine. Like he's willing to say the hard truth that needs to be said. For I, he says in Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or, or of God? Am I trying to please man If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So is he speaking out of both sides of his mouth? Is he contradicting himself? No. So if if the choice is between pleasing God or pleasing people, he's going to please God. But if the choice is between pleasing himself and pleasing people, he chooses pleasing others every time. He's dead to himself, crucified with Christ. He's denied himself, he's taken up his cross, and he's following Jesus. He's alive to God and others. So he lives for the advantage and the good of others, the building up of the body of Christ, his brothers and sisters, and the salvation of the lost. So do you see how living for the glory of God and living for the good of others are actually two sides of the same coin? They're not the same thing, but they are inextricably bound together. So a passion for the glory of God is going to lead you toward people, not away from people. You are actually if you if you follow Jesus, you're actually going to try to please everyone in everything you do. <laughs> now that could be really dangerous in the ears of some of you who fall off the horse on the people-pleasing side, right? If we say the path of following Jesus, kind of a greasy saddle, you know. So you could fall off on this side, and that's the people-pleasing side. You fall off on this side, and it's kind of the harsh, you know, like, mow people over. Truth without love, love without truth, something like that. So in moving toward people, the motive and the goal is always the glory of God and the true good of the other person. Okay, as defined by God. So so you're not trying to please them simply out of relational need. I hope they don't, you know, I, I just don't want to burn a bridge. Not because you want people to like you, not because you're lonely or afraid of being alone, and so you just keep everybody happy because it would be terrible if it. Not because you want to look good or have your stuff together that you please people. You are genuinely seeking their advantage, that they be built up or that they be saved. So people-pleasing is actually me-centered, right? It's it's actually selfish, even if it looks really servant-hearted. This pleasing everyone and everything is God-centered and their true advantage and good-centered, right? So this is how we do all to the glory of God. We try to please everyone and everything that we do. Paul is like a... He's so sweetened by the grace of God. He loves people. He's completely living for the good of other people. This is why Jesus came. This is how Jesus lived. This is how Jesus leads us, and we should follow those who follow Jesus, like Paul. So, I mean, should the church be countercultural? And I don't just mean, you know, in an angry culture war sort of way. Should the church be countercultural? Oh my goodness, if you live for the advantage of other people, we are going to be like salt and light. Because how many around you on a daily basis live seeking their own advantage? That's the default setting, right? So of course, the gospel and living like Christ is going to be offensive to some. And we can't, you know, compromise the truth. Of course, that's a given here, but if you live like this, laying your life down for the good of other people, it will be attractive and beautiful to others who are tired of a dog-eat-dog world that's just, you know, so many people have been chewed up and spit out. Now, this is a really sobering standard, isn't it? Anybody, like, just tired looking at these verses from what Paul's saying, and then he says, imitate me, like, oh, I was hoping this was just for, like, the, the, the super Christian types. I mean, this could feel like misery. <laughs> Give no offense. Try to please everyone and everything. Not seeking my own advantage. Like, oh, man. That's going to, like, steal my life. Last week, if you try to save your life, You'll lose it. You lose your life for my sake and the gospel's. You'll find it. So we do need to die. We need to know, though, that (laughs) all we're dying to is the stuff that's killing us, the selfishness, the pride, the self-centeredness. So when we know the life-giving grace and love of God in Christ, we can love like this, at least the trajectory, not perfectly, we can love like this because He first loved us. So it's, it's the power and the grace of His love that enables us to love like this. When we know the love of God through Christ, we're empowered to love our neighbors like this. So again, we were made, we're on planet Earth, we're human, made in the image of God, we were made to live up, open to God, And out, open to other people. So, up to God, humility, out toward other people in love. Life is about God and others. Sin, what does it do? It makes us live down and in. Pride and selfishness, life is about me and mine. So, there's a guy um, who was a pastor up north of Philly. And started World Harvest Mission. And anyway, Jack Miller, some of you may have heard of him. And um, he's got a really powerful book called The Heart of a Servant Leader. And yeah, I could say a lot about it, but I just want to read a quote from from the book. He says I like to think of repentance and praise as allied to each other, both forms of sanity. Repentance is a return to God as my center. Praise is lifting up of God in honor as my center. But to move out away from the center without repentance or praise is to be eccentric, irrational, and insane. That's what sin does to us, makes us weird. But what a simple thing it is to humble the heart and return to sanity by repentance and praise. Dying to ourselves at the center God is at the center, and oh, how healthy. I mean, how healthy is the Apostle Paul? (laughs) And we're unhealthy because we buy the stupid lies that selfishness sells. Okay? So people who are proud are all about themselves and using others to prop themselves up, right? Make themselves look good. People who are humble, genuinely humble like Jesus, are all about God and others, So people passionate about the glory of God are always about God, about Jesus and others, not themselves. So another quote for you here, C.S. Lewis, I love this quote, um, from Mere Christianity. He says, To even get near humility, even for a moment, is like a drink of cold water to a man in a desert. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man or woman, of course, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily, He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. He'll be thinking about God, and he'll be thinking about you in a very real, authentic sort of way. So I I have the picture in my mind. Um, Many of you know the story of Eric Little, the runner, missionary, and his opponent or one of his uh, rivals, Harold Abrahams, and the sad contrast that they were so eric little is known to famously say i believe god made me for a purpose which he got it for his glory and the good of others and he laid his life down for the people in china Um, i mean he really laid his life down for the people in china died in an internment camp of an inoperable brain tumor and he had just been pouring his life out for them i believe god made me for a purpose but he also made me fast and, you know, he was an Olympian, and, and anyway, maybe you've seen Chariots of Fire. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. So he was, he was so comfortable in his skin. He was so content and free. He wasn't trying to prove anything. God made him fast. So he loved to run, and he, he even ran this, like, wild abandon. Kind of looked weird. But he glorified God in his running, and then he was done with that. And, you know, whatever. And then he went and laid down his life for people in China that they would be saved. Sadly, Harold Abrahams, who ran against him, was so insecure because his identity was wrapped up in his success. He didn't know who he was if he couldn't win. So he said, I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor, 100 meter dash, four feet wide, with 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? That's what he said. He was miserable and enslaved. He lived down and in, and it just ate him alive. And you know what? There's people like that you rub shoulders with every day that are trying to prove themselves. They're trying to find some way to prop themselves up. And they are enslaved, and we can live like free. Maybe we should have a picture of, you know, of of Eric Little just running wild. You know that we look out every morning, and let's follow Jesus like that. And there are so many people that we can love to the point where they would experience that freedom from selfishness and live as they were intended to live up to God and open and out for others. So what is driving you? What's actually driving you? Like, pray. Ask the Lord, okay, search me and know me. Try my thoughts. My anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. I want to follow you. I want you to purify my motivations. I want you to change me. So, not anger and fear and pride, as powerful, powerful motivators those can be. But for the glory of God, the good of others. We've got to put those other motivations to death. And we've got to do it regularly, right? Because we constantly see how our motives are mixed and, you know, twisted and all this. So we can just be honest with the Lord and confess it, repent, and He can give us grace and change us. But have you ever thought about why those other things drive you? So, so I'm not going to do this with all of them because I've lifted, lift, listed a few different alternative motivations, but let's just take pride, okay? Why does pride drive us so much and so often? What are we after when that's kind of the engine? Well, we want to look good, right? We want to have it all together. We want to look good. We don't want to look bad. We want people to look up to us. We want to be better than, superior to, not inferior. So what is going on there? We are after our glory and our good, right? That's at the root. Isn't that the polar opposite of the freedom that's found in following Jesus, living for God's glory and the good of others? So, what we should be after. Glory and good. We were made for God's glory, the good of others. God's glory to enjoy fellowship with Him as His image bearers and because of redemption as His sons and daughters, beloved sons and daughters adopted into His family by His grace as we trust in Jesus as our Savior and to live for the good of others in love. So pride and sin came in, wrecked and twisted all of that. We try to live for our glory, selfishly seeking our own good, which oftentimes is at the expense of others, right? When we do, we end up miserable. And others oftentimes get hurt, or at least they're not helped by us. But when through the gospel God becomes our greatest good and His glory is our aim, then we begin to glorify Him and live the good of others. So, I hope that we all want to be set free from the slavery of selfish pride and experience the freedom of living for God's glory and the good of others. Um, Can I just, so I know we're talking up here, there are a million applications to this, right? And so, That's one of the things that you can do in your community groups is tease this out as far as what it ought to look like and how to encourage each other to walk this path. But let me just give one application in reference to what we say are two most important things, Sunday mornings and community groups, okay? So Sunday morning could feel like, oh, it's kind of passive. We just come in and sit down and, you know, hour and a half later, we get up and leave. No, none of Sunday morning should be passive, Okay. What do you want on Sunday morning? Do you want to bug out quick? Do you want to just like avoid getting into a long conversation? (laughs) Or do you want the glory of God? You want to see His glory, you want to receive His grace, and then you want to be for the good of others on Sunday morning and be active in that? Lord, who do you want me to talk to? Help me to be sensitive. me to ask good questions. Maybe I could think of some good questions so that I don't just say, hey, how you doing? Fine. How are you doing? You know. So this love and good of others and glory of God applies to how we do Sundays. Or how about your community group? Eh, I don't feel like going. Or when I do go, kind of stay on the surface. Or maybe you don't want to commit to a group. Maybe what you need to do is deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus because he's got you in this church family to be a part of the building up of this church family. So you are giving your life for the glory of God, the good of other people. And you've got gifts and experience that's going to bless other people. Even if you don't feel like going, God can use you. Serving. On Sunday mornings, you know, we need to care for our kids and do all this well. I don't, I don't want to serve. I, I've done my time. You've done your time. What in the world does that mean? No, there's an opportunity to live for the good of other people, whether they're little precious babies that you can be praying over, sowing the seeds of the gospel in little hearts, and you're also blessing the parents so they can be in here. So we are to live up and out to the glory of God and out for the good of others. So active, active engagement on Sunday. So God is glorified in us when he is our greatest good because he's our treasure. And you know what? We give off the light of what we love, right? When he's our greatest good, then to love our neighbor as ourselves is to, as ourself is to share him with them because he's our greatest treasure. We want them to know him. And so God is glorified in that, and we want them to have the same great good that we have. So When God uses you to make that happen in another person, what happens? They then carry on to others what you gave to them. You will make a disciple who wants to make disciples. And the baton gets passed, on and on. But first we must be disciples who want God first, for whom God is everything. He's at the center. And then we follow Jesus on that path. So perhaps you can see why the last point is what it is: imitation, transformation, and reproduction. Okay? So briefly here. Paul did not want the Corinthians and he and he didn't want us, God didn't want us to live selfish lives, turn in on ourselves. He wanted them, God wants us to imitate Jesus, follow him, living for the glory of God, the good of others. So this imitation is not moralism, okay? It's not just mere behavior modification. It's not bootstrap-ism. It's following Jesus by grace, through faith, by the power of the Spirit. And it's following other people who follow Jesus by grace, through faith in the power of the Spirit, learning from the lives of other people, imitating others who follow Jesus faithfully. So did you hear the imitation theme in the passage that Alice read? Um, just look at it again here, verses five to seven. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. See that? It's for their good. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, right? Because Paul was following Jesus, so they became imitators not, not only of Paul, but also of Jesus. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example. Do you see the Progression there. They then became an example to all kinds of other people because of following faithfully. So if they followed Paul in the footsteps of Jesus, then they would not be conformed to this selfish, prideful world, but they were transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus who lived for God's glory and the good of others. And so when we live for God's glory and the good of others, we end up reproducing ourselves. So we are disciples of Jesus who will then make disciples of Jesus. So it is a progression of imitation, transformation, reproduction. Okay? So just as we close here, listen to these verses again. Let them sink in. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. So we are disciples of the Lord Jesus, brothers and sisters. Let's learn from him. Let's follow him denying our selfish, prideful selves, taking up our cross daily, following Him on the path of love for God's glory and the good of others. Let's pray, and we're going to sing as a fitting response, take my life and let it be, and then we'll have um, some time of community discussion. Father, I pray that you would cause your will to be done in our lives as it is in heaven so that your kingdom would come. The rule and reign of King Jesus, the King of Kings, would come to deeper and wider expression in our lives so that your great name would be hallowed in and through us. So help us to follow Jesus wholeheartedly so that we bring you much glory and we bless and bring much good to the neighbors you bring in our path this week and each week. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.